Hello and welcome to The Frontline, a podcast from ILVI Europe in Brussels. We represent and work on behalf of over 600 LGBTI activist organizations across Europe and Central Asia. And our podcast aims to bring you to the front lines of queer activism in the regions. I'm your host from ILVI Europe's programs team, Julia Marczynski, and this is the third episode of our mini-series about empowering the LGBTI activist movement in our current times. And in today's topic, we will be discussing well-being and how the movement has dealt with it or has tried dealing with it, and how individual organizations and groups have tried to deal with this for their teams and for their communities. Joining me today are David Kahaberi, the Executive Director of Equality Movement in Georgia, and Eket Seritelli, Executive Director of Women's Initiative Supporting Group, otherwise known as WISG. Welcome both to the front line and thanks for joining us today. Although well-being burnout issues have only recently started to to sound uh, exactly with this terminology in the movement, of course the problem was there way before that. It's only recently that we started naming it and bringing attention to it. So we've been hearing quite a number of signals from the movement and from the community that this is affecting their teams that staff members are leaving the organization due to burnout or that people are migrating to less hostile countries even. So, of course, this is affecting the work because we do understand how hard it is to to find good, dedicated staff members who are both knowledgeable in terms of civil society work and also sensitive to LGBTI, SOGI-esque aspects of this work. So, yes, it's been happening for a while now. And yes, it has been profoundly affecting to some extent the movement uh, that even organizations split up and stopped working in some context. So we, we started thinking what could be the causes, but most importantly, we started thinking how can we support the movement in this way? And we have been trying to understand ourselves, what the causes might be and how to address this. And of course, we found that there is no golden rule of, okay, this is working and that might not be working. But we, in our work in general, we are hearing a lot from the movement of how exactly it's affecting teams and what have they been trying and what worked and perhaps didn't work. So a part of our work is a lot of picking up uh, that content, that information from the movement and, and seeing what can be replicable, what worked and what didn't work. And this is one of the reasons why we want to share your experience, your individual experiences today. And I will just share a bit more of how we try to support the movement. So we've been um, thinking about this and we started by uh, introducing this in discussions at our annual conferences, addressing it through webinars with experts who have been supporting the movement in one way or another in these difficult times. And recently, I think it's been a year and a half that we started providing consultations to organizations and groups, but this is not, so to say, individual consultations to individuals, but rather consultations provided by our expert, Yolanta Tsikhanovica who was providing these kind of consultations from the perspective of helping community leaders of better understand and deal with the issues on an organizational level. So we have been providing that. I hope it brought its benefits to the movement. Uh, but also 
we started listening and and uh, supporting the movement through other types of support like financial support and in our recent calls for proposals for grants we also started including this element as an element that we will support of course not naming the ways in which we will support it but rather leaving it to organizations and groups to tell us what's their approach on this and this is exactly what i want to ask you today how did this come to your attention as an organization how was the decision making process why did you choose one one approach versus other types of approach and to what did it lead so i, I will start with the first question to david and ask how is your team doing now currently uh equality movement has been through challenging times uh at first covid-19 crisis showed us how socially vulnerable lgbtq communities in georgia because of pandemics lots of community members lost their jobs we had to do something for people who could not pay for their rent or even even buy food um this was a new terrain for our organization uh because we do not do humanitarian work uh but with our partners with other community based organizations we somehow managed to face and solve this problem. Uh after COVID-19 crisis in summer of 2021, this June, we faced a new problem when a small number of activists who wanted to organize a pride march in Tbilisi, uh they were attacked and faced by the far right violent groups and the government did nothing to prevent or to stop this violence. The office of Tbilisi Pride was stormed by these people. There were a number of threats directed to equality movement and other LGBTQ uh, NGOs in Tbilisi and not only in Tbilisi, uh, in, in Georgia. Um, but despite these challenges, the team of equality movement um, fortunately was resilient. Uh, we used all the experience and all the strategies we elaborated during these years somehow. to save our mental health and not to burn out because we also have this experience of uh burning out. Uh right now, uh we LGBTQ people are in a very unusual and bizarre political state. For the first time in Georgia, the government openly declared that they will do nothing if NGOs will be attacked or will be under any threat, uh and this makes us right now more alert and oriented on our safety measures uh that's that's why we we do more work we are more mobilized or focused but fortunately fortunately we somehow also keep to be resilient to all these challenges thank you david eka how is your team doing thank you for this question <laughs> and thank you david for this overview uh i would uh, i would say that yes um the covid situation affected heavily on us uh, and uh, this year political events also at uh, its own weight on that uh and i would like to also stress that uh, last year was the first time we worked on humanitarian assistance and uh, even though this experience was exhausting all the community based organizations managed to quickly identify the needs of community members and then address with relevant services and etc 
And now this COVID situation, along with unprecedentedly worsened political situation, resulted us as a first hit of pandemic, as accumulated stress. But on the same time, I would highlight that this crisis definitely showed us how important it is to have ability and skill for quick adaptation to newly emerged critical situations. And the flexibility we have right now is very important part of resilience, which is much more than just survival and means staying functional, helpful, effective and responsive to the newly emerged needs. How we come to this, uh, we luckily uh, prioritized our organizational development in 2018. And uh, this made a solid ground to build up resilience and face challenges. And uh, that is why we could, as a team, navigate through this crisis we are in right now. As I kind of understand or assume, the efforts on working with burnout and well-being did not start a year or two ago. So when did you start thinking about that? What was the thinking process? What prompted you to start taking very concrete and intentional actions to tackle burnout and think more proactively on well-being? could would you like to, to share first? Yes. BISC um, actually faced big challenge of brain drain and burnout back in 2016 and 2017. Uh, and it led to organizational crisis, to conflicts and dissatisfactions. And that is why we, uh, uh, in 2018, brought uh, changes in uh, staff and in system. Uh, we started searching for the strategies to overcome this uh, crisis. And I, I can say that the most important was a commitment of management uh, to work strategically on organizational development, which still remains our priority. And as a result of this uh, rethinking process, we have in place some coping mechanisms um, now in our organization. Um, such as individual um, therapy sessions for staff members, burnout trainings, uh, uh, also for staff and management, uh, insurance, but budgeting. Uh, um, also, we uh, rethink our strategic plan and uh, elaborate organizational development plan with, with the accent on human resources and not only program goals and how these human resources can fit in our program goals and achievements. Yeah, and also um, we as a feminist collective uh, have made some efforts uh, to rethink care concept uh, and incorporate it in, uh, in this organizational vision. And uh, last year we created a collective care-oriented planning document, which is published on our website, wisg.org. Uh, in Georgian and in English, you can see that. And this document covers uh, collective care practices in four dimensions. Uh, mutual, virtual and physical spaces, project work and activities, communication with uh, rights holders and environmental direction. And each dimension considered with uh, personal, organizational, community levels. Now, with this, we try to uh, practice management uh, that has care in its center. And with this document, we declare that 
the significance of collective care as a value and its importance in the organization life cycle. That sounds really quite comprehensive and and well thought. It must have taken quite some time to just for the thinking process around that. David, how did it happen in your team? Um, so uh, 2019 actually was a an emotionally complicated year for equality movement because um, what I mean is that a small number of people who used to work at equality movement decided to create a new NGO with new initiative. Uh, and this uh, somehow led to lots of conflicts inside the team members. Uh, and uh, especially um, in summer of 2019, where, when the tension was really high because there were some ideas opposed to each other, uh, lots of our team members were burnt out. They could not focus on their work. Uh, they were involved in different kinds of discussions on so- in social media, for example. Uh, which I think was really, really destructive uh, and and not very good uh, to do. And that's when we decided somehow to make mental health our number one priority because we saw that if we did not care about uh, our mental well-being, we could not do our job. That's why we decided to, uh, first of all, start to start by evaluating and evaluation of uh, mental health needs uh, not only for equality movement team members, but uh, in general of LGBTQ activists in Georgia. Uh, and then to create a kind of a training manual, because in case of need to be accessible for interested parties. And now this document is public on our website. And after that, uh, we, uh, as Ek already mentioned, like in WISC, we also have right now service for our staff members, like psychiatrists or psychology sessions with therapists. Uh, we collaborate with a brilliant organization, which is Mental Hub, an inst- clinical institution which works in direction of mental health. Uh, and also in our strategy, we have a new direction, which is organizational development and empowerment. And we um, have this idea to repeat every year a training for our staff members about burnout, about mental well-being. And I, I hope I hope that this will work because right now in Georgia, political environment is changing rapidly. We face new challenges every day and we need a strong team with skills of resilience and, of course, taking care of mental health. That sounds quite a lot of work that's been put into thinking and developing internal policies and internal ways of dealing it, and not only for the current situation, not for an ad hoc situation that keeps repeating, of course, every year, but also for building up exactly that resilience. And it sounds like an amazing work that's been done. Is um, um, You both said that the training materials and the documents you developed are available in Georgian on your website. Would there be a, an advice for the movement? Like, how should they approach this? Eka? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, definitely. We are eager to share with uh, other organizations and activists and movement with our uh, findings uh, in our way of res- <laughs> to achieve resilience. And we uh, actually planning to uh, share it with other activists in Georgia uh, via different platforms and uh, um, meetings we are planning uh, next year. 
And the most important part of uh, this document, from uh, my opinion, is that this is not uh, like a fully established one, which could not be changed. It's like a process. We are reading it, we are sharing experience, and we put our changes in it. And everyone uh, can take something and also give something uh, while discussing it. Wow, it's uh, it's quite important to have that feedback and to open that door for feedback. I think that's that could be really useful for further development of this document because I do understand it's not a static, static document, but it also evolves with the context and with the changes in your team. Yeah, and also uh, next year we, uh, we are looking forward to elaborate monitoring tool for this approach because um, I, we think that uh, this will give us opportunity to see whether and how much effort we have put toward uh, its manifestation and also measure the results and changes more deliberately. I will get back to that train of thought, but David, would you have, after all the work that you've done with your team in this area, would there be any any advice that comes to your mind to the movement? Um, Yes, first of all, I would like to agree with you that the document is really flexible because the environment, as I already said, is changing rapidly and the context as well. Also, unfortunately, lots of people are leaving Georgia. This makes also, uh, we have this turnover in our organization. Some people are leaving, we have new staff members, and we somehow need to make it more flexible and comfortable for them to, to train them as well. Um, about sharing, uh, we are more than, more than glad to share the document. Actually, our aim was it to be a kind of a manual for anyone who is interested and to use it if they need it. So um, yes, um, maybe one day we will translate it in English as well if, if it will be interested for who, who do not speak in, in Georgian language. Uh, yes, um, right now um, I, I think that impact of this uh, project, first project, which was uh, about uh, mental health being somehow created a culture of caring about uh, our mental health because in Georgia uh, we do not have this kind of approach when we are talking about uh, in general about healthcare. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy because right now our team members and activists uh, know where to stop and just to think about uh, their well-being, their co- zone of comfort, and and somehow it it prevents uh, burnout, it prevents of different kind of um, mental health challenges, which are really great risk for activists right now in Georgia. And this leads me to the next question. So, after implementing these very well thought and well developed steps, what kind of changes do you see in your teams? How did that affect them? David? Uh, in our team, we somehow gained this culture of observing our mental well-being. And then the impact is that uh, right now, when we are more focused on our work and we are unfortunately alert because of these challenges raised by recent events, we somehow stay resilient. For me, this is the biggest and most important impact of our initiative to somehow care about mental well-being. Do you see changes in your team in that regard? Yeah, definitely. We can feel the changes in organizational dynamics. 
and first of all, it was uh, seen during crisis, as I have already mentioned. And this um, transformation of organizational experience into knowledge uh, and learning from self-reflection definitely empowered us as a team, and it makes us more resilient. Uh, we managed to decrease uh, conflicts inside the organization. We harmonized the communication and uh, make uh, a appreciation as part of organization culture, which is very important in our work. Uh, we try to keep uh, all these uh, achievements and practices in place uh, and keep, uh, keep working on uh, individual resilience as well as organizational resilience. And this uh, also uh, eventually, effectiveness of our work also increased, I would say. Do you see any feedback from the community? <clears throat> I mean, do they notice any changes? Does this affect them as well in any way? Do you have that kind of feedback from the community, David? Um, yes, uh, definitely yes. <laughs> Because uh, especially uh, after this COVID-19 crisis, uh, one of the uh, main priority for us is to provide the community with uh, mental health services and also the demand is really high that's why we we decided to have psychologists working at our office but also we hired on outsourcing as i've already mentioned collaboration with uh, mental hub and uh, this uh, project and this kind of uh, teaching people about mental well-being somehow led us to the situation where our social workers, our team members, our community officers, they have really good communication with our community members about how important their mental well-being is, of course, with some other needs. So um, I'm really happy that right now uh, for LGBTQ community, for us in Georgia, mental health services are uh, accessible. I hope that it will stay like this because, as I said, it's a sustainable service which will stay during years uh, and also what i see is that community members even those who are not really involved in activism but uh, unfortunately their lives also are influenced by the situation in the country they also have this kind of instruments and tools to evaluate the situation in, in perspective of their mental well-being and somehow to be more resilient Eka, do you see that on your side yes of First of all, we can see this direct result in the trust toward us from our community. Um, last year, uh, the research uh, done by us showed that uh, community-based organizations has the highest trust from community, eight uh, point from out of 10. And also, I think that uh, this approach we uh, elaborate, it's a new meaning for empowerment work, because we uh, see care um, as one of the central values of empowerment process. Organization takes responsibility to create space um, where the rights holder so can not only receive care uh, via services, etc., but also being an actor and a giver in this process and we believe it makes basis for mutual horizontal attitude and real solidarity which is the most important thing to have a strong movement with resilience members in it that that sounds like 
quite some fantastic work you've done. And honestly, for me, maybe as a community member seeking to join some volunteering or some work for an organization, this knowing that these mechanisms are in place makes it a more, in a way, attractive and safe place to work. So thank you both for sharing these examples today. And I hope it becomes useful for other movement actors who have started that thinking or are a bit more advanced on that path, but it gives more food for thought and some ideas on how to deal with this and especially why and what kind of results it can yield. So thank you both again for being with us today and for sharing these examples. And good luck in your further job. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You have been listening to The Frontline, ILGA Europe's LGBTI activism podcast. Please click on the links in the episode description to find out more about the work of Equality Movement and Women's Initiatives Supporting Group in Georgia. And tune in next time when we'll be traveling further on the front lines of LGBTI activism in Europe and Central Asia. Bye for now.